Welcome to River Life Podcasts. We're a church family embracing the Father's presence, releasing empowered people to declare and demonstrate Christ's kingdom. We trust that God would use what you hear today to bless and grow you so that you would be a blessing to those around you. For more information about River Life Baptist Church, go to riverlifechurch.org.au or find us on social media. Uh, Right from the beginning of this year, we've been talking about setting sail. Uh, We've been talking about how we as a church uh, are feeling that God is thrusting us into uncharted waters. We're still heading towards the vision of of being mobilised as his people to move outside of our four walls to be able to see the lost come to Jesus, to see how we can be thrust into our community and see revival come to this city, how we can meet the needs of our local community, how we can pass to the city of Brisbane and how God would amongst us release revivalists to the nations. And and I don't know uh, what comes to your mind when you think about all of those things and how we are to accomplish them. But the very act of setting sail is to set the sail, is to hoist it, is to allow the wind of his spirit to come and take us where he wants us to be. We aren't under our own motor. We aren't under our own steam. It is that we need the wind of his spirit to take us to where he wants us to go. Prayer is the vehicle. It's like setting our sails so that God can blow and fill it. You see, prayer is the work of the church. It is the way in which we as his people set sail, allowing him to take us wherever he wants to take us. He, in those moments, speaks deeply and richly into our lives, both individually and corporately together, so that we might know what he wants us to do. If they're uncharted waters, we need him to lead us and guide us to the things that he wants us to be about. Next week is the week in which we're going to start our week of 24-7 prayer and fasting. What a great opportunity for us collectively, together, holistically, everyone, not just in their own moments, but coming together for those, those group times and gather to be able to hoist our sail in prayer and see what the Lord has to say to us. Because the vision is only accomplished when we all play our part. And God has something exciting for you to do in fulfilling of the vision of the church. Next week is also Pentecost Sunday. That day when we remember that as they gathered together, the disciples, waiting and tarrying in prayer together, God meets them in the power of his Holy Spirit and shakes them and rocks them to allow them to be bold enough to be able to proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus. It's there that that Peter particularly gets up and speaks a message in which thousands come, but it's the beginning, the outpouring of his spirit on the church. And I can't think of a more exciting time for us to start prayer and on our knees together be asking that God would you come again in power so that you might fill us with the boldness that your message might go forth again in power to see our city come to Jesus. 
great opportunities. Prayer is not some type of ethereal exercise that has little measurable effect on the real world. I, I know because I've struggled at times as well to feel like, am I, who, is, does God hear my prayer? Does it make any real difference? And this morning, I wanna encourage you that yes, it does. Prayer is the intersection of the kingdom of heaven and earth. Smith Wigglesworth said, if you want anything from God, you'll have to pray into heaven. That's where it all is. If you live in the earth realm and expect to receive from God, you'll never get anything. Prayer is this beautiful junction, this, this point where we calling out for the goodness and the richness, the storehouse of heaven to come as it is in heaven here now on earth. Prayer is not a substitute for the hard work. It is the work that we as a church need to be more about. Prayer is, is, is not only effective, but it is powerful bringing about God's will on earth. He does things in and through our lives like he doesn't do anywhere else other than when we come and pray. Prayer is the way of fulfilling the original commission that he has in exercising the authority that it was given to us to go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. This engagement with God becomes this conduit through you and me as the kingdom of heaven touches earth. And it seems to me that this is the very thing that our world so desperately needs, but it's the very thing we so desperately need. And it seems to me that this is how God has made us to be. For whatever reason, although sovereign, although all-powerful, although he started and he still has his hand upon us and holds all things together, he chooses to be effective through us. Ordinary people just like us us. And that, I don't know about you, but makes me take stock of then, what, am I in a place where God can use me? If that's his plan, if that is his purpose of bringing heaven to earth and he wants to do it through people like us, am I in the place where I'm paying attention to what God is wanting to do? And as we pray, it, our attention is turned towards God. We become more perceptive to aligning our lives with his will. And I think maybe if we're not seeing the Holy Spirit's power in our own lives, then maybe we're not spending adequate enough time in prayer. Perhaps we're pursuing our own agenda rather than seeking the Father's will. Maybe we've abandoned the place of prayer for the busyness of life. I, I know all too well I need the constant reminders in my life to bring me back to the power source of how I should be living. Do you have those constant reminders? 
You know, we as a staff uh, start our day in a time of what we call soaking. It's an opportunity to just come and hear your marching orders for the day, basically. Come and lay it all down before God, your agenda, the meetings, everything that you've got, the people you might need to be meeting with, and just say, God, what is it today that you want to do in and through me? And center ourselves back in that space of intimacy through waiting on the Lord. Then we've actually uh, popped three times of short prayer, only five minutes, where a little bell rings across our, our, the church and uh, meeting areas, and uh, we come together, stand up in, around a table to be able to just pray, to, to remind ourselves we pray for you. We pray for the ministries of the church. We pray for however God wants to lead us. And, and at first I thought these are, are mechanical things that I don't know if my heart's really in them, but what I I've actually come to learn is that they're rhythms and they're, they're reminders of bringing me back to a place where I'm calling on God instead of just going about the busyness of my day. You may not work in a church. Most likely you don't. What is it though that you could be doing to be bringing yourself into this constant reminder that you and I are the ones in which God is wanting to use to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. What is it then that we are doing to bring ourselves into this intimate place where we might understand what it is that God wants to do? John Lake said, the church has been negligent in one thing. She has not prayed the power of God out of heaven. Let that not be the case for river life. If we're strangers to prayer, maybe we're strangers to God's power. And that should not be the case. So how is it then that God wants us to pray? You see, prayer is not an opportunity for us to be able to change God's mind about something. It's an opportunity for us to surrender our will and come before him to gain a new perspective, to gain a greater understanding to hear what God has to say and to take up an opportunity to be changed. The enemy's greatest efforts at deceiving the church, I think, are centered around the purpose and effect of prayer. As his delegated authority on earth, how is it then that we should be in prayer? We all know we're supposed to be in prayer, but how is it that we can pray? Now, if we want to learn to be able to pray, to lead to look no further than the model of Jesus. Jesus was always about his father's business. It tells us that he often went out into a lonely place, a place of solitude, a place of quietness, so that he could be with his father in prayer, where there would be conversation, where he would hear what it was that God wanted him to do. The prayer that Jesus then taught us as his disciples to pray provides, I think, the clearest instruction of the reality of bringing his world to this one. Matthew chapter six is where we find it, so if you've got your Bibles with you, we're gonna take a look at Matthew chapter six, verses nine through to 13, in which we find what is often called the Lord's Prayer and he's teaching us how to pray. 
Now, I need you to understand the way in which this is actually written, it starts like this, at opening at the top, it comes into a very important middle section and then it kind of goes out like this again. That's, that's how it was designed in a written form uh, in, in, in its original language. And the importance of that is this, that right in that central focal point of this prayer, it's all about heaven coming to earth. It's all about that. I want you to understand that as disciples, we are both citizens of another world, ambassadors of another world, of the heavenly realm, We are children of God, and although our feet are firmly planted in this world, our hearts, our spirits, our minds are to be renewed and made whole and and have a heavenly perspective, a heavenly understanding of what's going on. Our job, if you like, is to be these conduits of bringing heaven to earth. And the resources needed to fulfill the assignment that is before us of bringing heaven to earth for each of our own generation, they're found in heaven. That's where the resource is. So let me read to you this prayer. This then is how you should pray, says Jesus. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Here we start our prayer with our eyes being turned, our minds being turned towards, our hearts being positioned to give God glory and thanksgiving in our hearts. It takes us out of looking at the perspective of what we are about to go through about the thing and giving us a fresh new perspective. Remember I was saying that the prayer is like an open funnel at the top. The open funnel is for us to understand the vastness, the the awe and the reverence of who God is. To start to transform our thinking. If we come into prayer with an immediate shopping list or we come with all of our complaints or we come in all these other ways, we, we forget that we're there before for an almighty God. Jesus is saying, when you first come to pray, stop and recognize who it is that you're praying to. He is the God of the universe. He is the one who spoke all things into being. He is the one who still holds them all together. And this idea of hallowed, the original Greek word hagios, which means holy, it means to set apart, to consider holy, to treat as holy. I I think probably the best word that we could render for that today is to understand reverence. When we say hallowed be your name, we're saying let your name be holy and revered on earth as it already is in heaven. May your name be given the unique reverence that is due to your character, due to your nature, our Father. We get this idea that he is holy and set apart and other, and all of a sudden, 
When you understand the vastness and the greatness and the goodness of God, you start getting a different perspective on the stuff that you're about to pray into. He gives you faith for the hope of the things that you're asking for that are according to his will and in his name. Why? Because you remember who you're praying to, this great and awesome and mighty God. When we begin our prayers with, hallowed be your name, we're we're slowing ourselves down so we're not rushing into his presence. Jesus wants us to understand that this is a place of intimacy with God. The reverence, the awe, the holiness, that yes, he is set apart, but Jesus is encouraging us to stop and to linger as we come to pray in God's presence. To be intimate, to understand the knowledge of his will for our lives and the power and the authority to carry that out when we go. See, what God did to make it possible for us to be calling him our father is all we need to see to begin to become true worshipers. The more we live as citizens of heaven, the more heaven's activities infect our lifestyles. This intimacy that Jesus is expressing with the words, our Father, calling us to come into a place where we not only gain a perspective of how awesome and mighty and magnificent God is, but just how good a dad he is to stop and become intimate with him. Sometimes I like to picture myself almost climbing up onto the lap of God like a little kid. I don't know, in my image, I, I have God as someone really big, you know? Ever thought you'd like to be picked up and cuddled like a baby still as an adult? Or is that me? Just me? Anyone else? Why? That would be amazing, wouldn't it? And I kind of feel like that's how God just kind of wants to pick us up and sit us on his lap and just, yeah, okay, let's get talking. Let's get sharing with one another. And this is this place of intimacy before. And there's the key to the power. It's the key to the authority. It's the key to the supernatural God at work in our lives when we stop and we're close and we're spending time together. And so this is where we start our prayer. It's wide and it's open and Jesus then says, this is what I want you to be praying about. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so from this awe-inspiring place of intimacy, Jesus then instructs us to be specific about how we are to pray. How we're to pray about uh, the following things that he then calls us to, to. Heaven's effect on our material needs, heaven's effect on our personal relationships, and heaven's effect on our relationship to evil. And all of that is to be done in the context of bringing heaven to earth. Praying that his will as it is done in heaven, will be done on earth in and across those three elements. 
when the believer prays according to the revealed will of God, faith is specific and focused. Faith grabs hold of that reality of what is in heaven. Enduring faith then doesn't let it go. And the invasion causes the circumstances here to line up with heaven. Everything that happens here is supposed to be a shadow of heaven. Every revelation that God gives us of heaven is to equip you with a prayer focus of how it should be here. That's what he's trying to get your attention on. Jesus ushered in the kingdom of God with his coming. And he demonstrated what that kingdom looked like because he understood what the reality of heaven was and now how it's supposed to be brought to earth. The blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear, the captives are set free. People are liberated into a free relationship with the Father in heaven. These are the signs of the kingdom at work in and around us. And Jesus modeled it and he says, I want you to live like me. And the way in which you'd need to do that is to understand that if that's in heaven, I want you to release it here on earth. Of course, we know that the gap between what heaven looks like and, and the one day when heaven will be on earth, when Jesus will come and, and reign forever with his people, when the evil one will be locked away for good, where we ourselves will be in that eternal place of, of a, a sin-free relationship with God here when he comes again and sets up all things new. But what he's calling us to do is to, to live out that breaking in of the kingdom of heaven to earth now. Now, I, how much of heaven can, has God purposed to become manifest here on earth now and, and not yet? Well, I, I don't know, but I don't wanna die wondering. If he's asking me to pray this way, and the life of Jesus demonstrates a whole lot more than what I see in my life, yet I'm not there. So I want more of it. I wanna, I wanna be called up and into those places. We know that the Bible says that it's even more than has even entered how you can think, imagine, or dream. How good is that? And I think it's here that God, in response to our cries, brings his world crashing into our world. Conversely, if it's not free to exist in heaven, it needs to be bound here. Again, through prayer, we are to exercise the authority that God has given to us. And just remember, we're asking for God's will to be done. We need not only be in tune with what his revealed will looks like, much in the life of Jesus, but we must be humble and submissive to then totally trust that God's will is ultimately the best. And so it takes a lot of the worry away. And that's the very next thing that Jesus wants us to focus on about bringing heaven to earth. 
Give us this day our daily bread. Here, Jesus is asking us to, to bring both the spiritual and the physical needs of our everyday lives, requesting that we are reliant on God to bring about. Uh, it's a practical application of God's provision expressed here on earth. We're asking for God's abundant supply to flow, to bring about his will without restraint due to lack. What we're then asking for is enough to satisfy the desires born of God and enough for every good work. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us, God, this day the very needs that I have to be met in you. Give me good work to do and the strength to do it. Give me the ability, God, this day to meet the needs of everything according to your will that you want to do through me. And, and, and you'll see that Jesus then teaches on this a little bit later as you go through Matthew chapter six where, where he's teaching about this prayer. He then goes on to say, hey, you needn't worry. Why does he say you needn't worry? Because he knows you're gonna worry. And he wants to point you back to what he's saying. This is how you pray. You need to be reliant on me for your every need, the spiritual, the practical. And so when Jesus, or through our prayer is asking us to be in that position of the kingdom of heaven coming to earth and God reveals then that I want you to, to go and practically bless that person. He'll provide what it is that you need to go do it. When he speaks to you and says, would you go and pray for that person? He'll give you the words to pray. He'll give you the courage, the strength. And so what we're coming to this point is that we needn't worry about so many of the things that we worry about. Instead, we need to pray. Let me tell you, if, if you're a good warrior, have I got any good warriors? I, not warriors, warriors, you know? People who just worry all the time. Let me tell you, you can be, turn that worry into prayer and you are gonna be a great intercessor. You're just going to be a great intercessor. Just start to turn those things not into I am worried, but in the recognition that as his disciple, he is going to provide for you the every need. Of course, when he's talking to disciples and he says, give us this day our daily bread, they get something we don't straight away. They get this idea that when they, in their history, were walking through the wilderness, escaping the might of the Egyptians on their way to the promised land, and Moses was leading them, God provided the 40 years they were in the desert their every material need. Their clothes didn't wear out. And he provided this manna, this bread-like substance that every day came fresh for them to pick up and eat and sustain themselves. Give us this day our daily bread. 
is Jesus' instruction to encouraging us to discover God's provision, to rest in faith and be totally dependent on him for our survival. And then he switches from the things we know we're going to worry about, the material, the physical, spiritual needs within our lives, and he flips it into what he knows you're going to always deal with. And that is your relationships with other people. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Heaven provides a model for our relationships here on earth. Paul puts it like this in Ephesians chapter four. He said, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Makes it quite clear that Jesus is our model. He's not only teaching us how to pray. This is how Jesus lived. He didn't need to ask for forgiveness, but boy, he had to offer some. And that's his calling to us, to come to him to receive the forgiveness that we've just celebrated around the table of communion together as we we understand that the sacrifice has been made so that I can live guilt-free. I can live sin-free. I can live under the covering of the blood that was spilt for me and in his resurrection life. And in so doing, I am then requested to forgive others because I've been forgiven much. Keeping those short accounts on a daily basis where we've just come and asked for our daily needs to be met the work of God to be satisfied and resourced enough for it to happen and be done within our lives. And now on the daily basis, we come to understand that we need to walk in forgiveness with one another, just as Christ forgave us. Every three months, we all get these series of bills that all come your electricity, your rates, you know, gas if you're on gas or whatever it might be. They they all, regularly. And then you get the other big ones that pop in. Have you ever felt under the weight of some of the debt that you carry when you've got to pay those bills and and the mortgage still needs paying and the the fees of whatever needs to be paid and and you've got to get on with things? and, And do you ever feel the weight, the financial weight of the debt you carry? Debt of any kind comes with a weight that holds us back from freedom that we can experience. We don't need to carry the debt of the things that we have done wrong that have grieved God, our sin. We can seek his forgiveness and he freely gives it. And we can offer forgiveness to those who have grieved us. 
Jesus emphasizes the point by immediately going on after he teaches the disciples how to pray here, going into a teaching moment around the importance of forgiveness. Are you walking with a, a weight of debt of unforgiveness? Forgive others, for you've been forgiven much. And then he turns it to the last point. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. There is no temptation in heaven. There is no sin in heaven. Neither is there any presence of evil. Keeping separate from evil is practical evidence of our coming under our king's rule. This prayer is not uh, uh, implying that God is going to tempt you. We know that in James 1 verse 13 it says it's impossible for God to entice us to sin. Did you know that the word for test and temptation in the original Greek are actually rendered the same? It's rendered by the way in which we choose to respond. I remember Pastor Ryan talking about this in one of his messages on prayer. He talked to and quoted Daryl Johnson who translate this part of the Lord's Prayer like this. It says, when I come into times of testing, may I not be tempted to not trust in your goodness and faithfulness. Do you like that? Isn't that good? I'm glad that Pastor Joe thinks that's good. When I come into the times of testing, may I not be tempted to trust, to not trust in your goodness and faithfulness. Oh wow, that turns it all around. This kind of praying is most important because it requires us to face our need for God's empowering presence, his grace in our life. It helps us align our heart with heaven, one of absolute dependency on God. And the phrase deliver us from the evil, it was originally rendered from the evil one. A heart modeled after heaven has great success in spiritual warfare. And that's why it says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And Jesus was able to say, Satan has nothing in me or on me. The believer is to be completely free of this type of influence, any of those type of attachments. And that's what Jesus is asking us to live in. Under his reign, not the enemies. Under his rule, not the enemies. And we're reminded again that we don't fight a battle of flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities of the unseen world. And when we pray for his kingdom to come, what we're asking for him to do is to superimpose the rules, the orders, and the benefits of his world over this one until this one looks like his. That's what happens when the sick are healed or the demonized are set free. His world collides with the world of darkness and his world is light and it wins. Our battle is always a battle for the dominion of a conflict of kingdoms. And while God's justice demands judgment, his love desires forgiveness, compassion, and repentance. God doesn't want us to see the earth in the current situation it's in. 
He's calling us to pray. Set your sail. Ask that the wind of His Spirit through our intercession, our times of prayer, our realigning ourselves under Him, seeking Him for all that is going to be required, being dependent upon Him for all that will be required in the completion of His will of bringing heaven to earth. And all of a sudden, the, the pressure of performance goes. The pressure and the weighing down of things lifts off because we come and we submit ourselves to this great and mighty, awesome God, our Father in heaven, desiring to bring His kingdom to this one through you. Will we take up the challenge to be able to spend more time in prayer? Because this truth could intimidate us with the responsibility it implies or even condemn us because we're not praying enough. But it could also excite us to the challenge, couldn't it? The challenge of prayer. Jack Hayford said that prayer is essentially a partnership of the redeemed child of God walking and working hand in hand with God towards the realisation of His redemptive purposes on earth. Let's rise to the challenge, church. 24-7 prayer and fasting starting next Sunday. An opportunity to you reset the prayer schedule for us to become reliant for us to press in, to us to get fresh revelation for the assignment that is before us of bringing heaven to earth, setting sail into these uncharted waters of what's next that he has for us. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. God, you're calling us to unity in prayer. You're setting before us a wonderful and mighty and awesome challenge to be dependent upon you and allow your will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. What an exciting prospect. What a joy-filled process it is to come before you, our great and mighty dad in heaven to know that you will supply all that is needed, but to have the privilege of working hand in hand with you for your redemptive purposes to be seen in this world, through us and all around us. And so God, we're excited for the opportunity and we're not gonna even wait till next Sunday. We commit ourselves to be in prayer on a daily basis and a coming in to your intimacy with you on a, and let, it, let your kingdom reign in our hearts first, in our minds, receiving your forgiveness and offering it freely so that the evil one might have nothing on us as we go about being yours for the expansion of your kingdom.
Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done, our great and mighty God, in and through our lives and in and through this great city, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this River Life podcast. Make sure you subscribe to keep up to date with all the latest content. If this podcast has raised any questions for you, contact us via church at riverlifechurch.org.au or through Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for listening.